Chapter Eleven of the Riders of the Silences by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was not fear nor shame that made the eyes of Jacqueline so wide as she stared past Pierre toward the door. He glanced across his shoulder, and blocking the entrance to the room, literally filling the doorway, was the bulk of Jim Boone. "'Seems as if I was sort of stepping in on a little family party,' he said. "'I'm sure glad you two got acquainted so quick. Jack, how did you, and—what the hell's your name, lad?' "'He tricked me, Dad, or he would never have got the gun away from me. This—this this Pierre, this beast, he got me to talk of Howl. Then he stole—' "'The point,' said Jim Boone coldly, "'is that he got the gun.' Run along, Jack. You ain't so grown up as I was thinking. Or hold on. Maybe you're more grown up. Which is it? Are you turning into a woman, Jack? She whirled on Pierre in a white fury. You see? You see what you've done? He'll never trust me again. Never. Pierre, I hate you. I'll always hate you. And if Hal were here... A storm of sobs and tears cut her short, and she disappeared through the door. Boone and Pierre stood regarding each other critically. Pierre spoke first. You're not as big as I expected. I'm plenty big, but you're older than I thought. Too old for what you want of me. The girl told me what that was. Not too old to be made what I want. And his hands passed through a significant gesture of molding the empty air. The boy met his eye dauntlessly. I suppose, he said, that I've a pretty small chance of getting away. Just about none, Pierre. Come here. Pierre stepped closer and looked down the hall into another room. There about a table sat the five grimmest riders of the mountain desert that he had ever seen. There were such men as one could judge at a glance, and Pierre made that instinctive motion for his six-gun. The girl, Jim Boone was saying, kept you pretty busy trying to make a break, and if she could do anything, maybe you'd have a pile of trouble with one of them guarding you. But if I had a good look at you, lad, I'd never have let Jack take the job of guarding you. Thanks, answered Pierre dryly. You got reason, I can see that. Here's the point, Pierre. I know, young men, because I can remember pretty close what I was at your age. I wasn't any lady's lapdog at that, but time and older men molded me the way I'm going to mold you. Understand? Pierre was nerved for many things, but the last word made him stir. It roused in him a red-tinged desire to get through the forest of Blackbeard at the throat of Boone and dim the glitter in those keen eyes. It brought him also another thought. Two great tasks lay before him, the burial of his father and the avenging of him on McGurk. As to the one, he knew it would be childish madness for him to attempt to bury his father in Morgantown with only his single hand, to hold back the powers of the law or the friends of the notorious Diaz and crippled Hurley and for the other it was even more vain to imagine that through his own unaided power 
he could strike down a figure of such almost legendary terror as McGurk. The bondage of the gang might be a terrible thing through the future, but the present need blinded him to what might come. He said, Suppose I stop raising questions or making a fight, but give you my hand and call myself a member. Of the family? Exactly. If you did that, I'd know it was because you were wanting something, Pierre. Huh? Two things. Lad, I like this way of talk. One, two. You've hit quick, like a two-gun man. Well, I'm used to playing high for what I get. What's up? The first? Wait. Can I help you out by myself, or do you need the gang? The gang. Then come, and I'll put it up to them. You first. It was equally courtesy and caution, and Pierre smiled faintly as he went first through the door. He stood in a moment under the eyes of five silent men. The booming voice of Jim Boone pronounced, This is Pierre. He'll be one of us if he can get the gang to do two things, I ask you. Will you hear him for me and then pass on whether or not you try his game? They nodded. There were no greetings to acknowledge the introduction. They waited, eyeing the youth with distrust. Pierre eyed them in turn, and then he spoke directly to Big Dick Wilbur. Here's the first. I want to bury a man in Morgantown, and I need help to do it. Black Gandal snarled. You heard me, boys. Blood to start with. Who's the man you want us to put out? He's dead, my father. They came straight in their chairs, like trained actors rising to a stage crisis. The snarl straightened on the lips of Black Morgan Gandil. He's lying in his house a few miles out of Morgantown. As he died, he told me that he wanted to be buried in a corner plot in the Morgantown graveyard. He'd seen the place and counted it for his a good many years because he said the grass grew quicker there than any other place after the snow went. The damned good reason, said Gary Patterson, as the idea struck more deeply into his imagination, he smashed his fist down on the table so that the crockery on it danced. A damned good reason, say I. Who's your father? asked Dick Wilbur, who eyed Pierre more critically, but with less enmity than the rest. Martin Ryder. A ringer cried Bud Manzi, and he leaned forward alertly. You remember what I said, Jim? Shut up, Pierre. Talk soft and talk quick. We all know Mart Ryder had only two sons, and you're not either of them. The northerner grew stiff, and as his face grew pale, the red mark where the stone had struck his forehead stood out like a danger signal. He said slowly, I'm his son but not by the mother of those two. Was he married twice? Pierre was paler still, and there was an uneasy twitching of his right hand, which every man understood. He barely whispered, No, damn you. But Black Gandil loved evil. He said with a marvelously unpleasant smile, Then she was... The voice of Dick Wilbur cut in like the snapping of a whip. Shut up, Gandil, you devil. There were times when not even Boone would cross Wilbur 
and this was one of them. Pierre went on. The reason I can't go to Morgantown is that I'm not very well liked by some of the men there. Why not? When my father died, there was no money to pay for his burial. I had only a half-dollar piece. I went to the town and gambled and won a great deal. But before I came out, I got mixed up with a man called Hurley, a professional gambler. And Diaz queried a chorus. Yes, Hurley was hurt in the wrist, and Diaz died. I think I'm wanted in Morgantown. Out of a little silence came the voice of Black Gandil. Dick, I'm thanking you now for cutting me so short a minute ago. Phil Branch had not spoken, as usual, but now he repeated with rapt, far-off eyes. Hurley was hurt in the wrist and Diaz died. Hurley and Diaz? I played with Hurley a couple of times. Speaking personal, said Gary Patterson, his red verging toward purple in excitement, which I'm ready to go with you down to Morgantown and bury your father. And do it ship-shape, added Black Candle. With all the trimmings, said Bud Mansey, with all Morgantown joining the morning voluntarily, under cover of our six-guns. Wait, said Boone. What's the second request? That can wait. It's a bigger job than this one? Lots bigger. And in the meantime, I'm your man. They shook hands. Even Black Gandal rose to take his share in the ceremony, all save Bud Mansey, who had glanced out the window a moment before and then silently left the room. A bottle of whiskey was produced and glasses filled all around. Jim Boone brought in the seventh chair and placed it at the table. They raised their glasses. To the empty chair, said Boone. They drank, and for the first time in his life, the liquid fire went down the throat of Pierre. He set down his glass, coughing, and the others laughed good-naturedly. Started down the wrong way? asked Wilbur. It's beastly stuff. First I ever drank. A roar of laughter answered him. Still, I got an idea, broke in Jim Boone, that he's worthy of taking the seventh chair. Draw it up, lad. Vaguely, it reminded Pierre of a scene in some old play with himself in the role of the hero signing away his soul to the devil. But an interruption kept him from taking the chair. There was a racket at the door, a half-sobbing, half-scolding voice, and the laughter of a man. Then Bud Mansey appeared, carrying Jack in spite of her struggles. He placed her on the floor and held her hands to protect himself from her fury. I glimpsed her through the window, he explained. She was lining out for the stable, and then a minute later, I saw her swing a saddle on to. What horse do you think? Out with it. Jim's big thunder, yep. She stuck the saddle on the big black thunder and had a rifle in the holster. I saw there was hell brewing somewhere, so I went out and nabbed her. Jack called Jim Boone. Where were you started for? Bud Manzi released her arms, and she stood with them stiffening at her sides and her fists clenched. Hal, he died, and there was nothing but talk about him, nothing done. You got a live man in Hal's place. 
She pointed an accusing finger at Pierre. Maybe he takes his place for you, but he's not my brother. I hate him. I went out to get another man to make up for Pierre. Well, a dead man. I'd shoot straight enough for that. A very solemn silence spread through the room, for every man was watching in the eyes of the father and daughter the same shining black devil of wrath. Jack, get into your room, and don't move out till I tell you to. Do you hear? She turned on her heel like a soldier and marched from the room. Jack? She stopped in the door, but would not turn back. Jack, don't you love your old dad any more? She whirled and ran to him with outstretched arms and clung to him sobbing. Oh, dad, she groaned, you've broken my heart. End of chapter 11